0: Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Good morning. Great to be with you all. The song that we sang a little bit ago um, called Treasure... It's uh when Luke wrote that song he had this verse in mind in Matthew 13 you maybe have heard this before it says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field the import I think one of, I think a really important part of that verse is it says in his joy in his joy it's not that we need to sell everything or give everything or, or submit everything to Christ begrudgingly. But it's that when we see Christ as our true treasure and all that he is, everything else just seems to have such little value in comparison. Well, this morning, we're starting a new series on the new covenant. So the next several weeks, we'll be talking about the new covenant. And this is a biblical term. And so we want to just say it that way. We want to talk about the new covenant. This morning, I want to start our series by saying the new covenant has better promises. Um, Jesus, when he introduced the Lord's Supper, we celebrate that on the first Sunday of every month, when he introduced the Lord's Supper, he said, as he passed his cup of wine around to his disciples, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And essentially, I want to, this is my desire for us as a church, as God's people, that we would know the true riches we have in Jesus, in him. I read a quote this last week by a guy named Richard Sibbs. He was a Puritan pastor in the 1600s. He said this, we are only poor for this one reason. Now he's talking about spiritually poor, but listen to this, for one reason that we do not know our riches in Christ. We are poor for this one reason, because we don't Know the riches that have been given to us lavishly through Jesus Christ and in Christ. So we want to talk about the new covenant because all of God's blessings come to us through the new covenant. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant is a contract or a will or a testament. It's a contractual agreement between multiple parties. All throughout the Bible, God is a covenant-making covenant making And covenant-keeping God. From the very first pages of the Bible, God made a covenant with Adam. He said, Adam, if you obey my commands, things will go well with you. But if you disobey this one command, you will die. He made a covenant with Noah in uh, Genesis chapter 8 or 9. After the flood and Noah and his family came out, came through the flood safe, and God rescued them and saved them. God made a covenant with them, with with Noah, that he would never flood the earth and destroy it by flood. And he gave him a sign. You guys know what the sign is? He gave him a sign. The sign was a rainbow. So when we see a rainbow now, we can remember that's God's covenant, that he will never flood the earth like he did in the days of Noah. Later on, he made a covenant with Abraham. The covenant made to Abraham was that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, that Abraham would have offspring more numerous than the stars in the sky. In other words, he'd have lots of offspring. Even later, he made a covenant to David. You might say this is a a royal covenant or a covenant of dynasty. And the promise to David was that someone from David's line would always sit on the throne. And then, of course, there's the covenant made with Israel through Moses and Mount Sinai. And that's, that's the covenant that's in view in our text this morning that we need to have a new covenant in regard to. In verse 32, notice that the problem is not with the covenant, but with the people that God made the covenant with. It says, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. God finds fault with People who break his covenant in our passage. The problem is not with God, the commandment giver, in regards to a covenant that's broken, but with sin in the heart of its recipients. God's commandments, God's law, it's good, it's perfect, and it's holy. The problem with covenant breaking is, that is, is not with God's commands, but it's with people whose hearts are bad, naturally. Naturally right? They're, they're bad, naturally. Matt read out of Ephesians chapter 5, and Ephesians 5 says, for at one time you were darkness. That speaks of our sinful nature. So covenant breaking is it's a problem with people's hearts that are bad, unwilling and unable to keep God's law. In fact, it's, it's just amazing because as God is giving the covenant to, to Moses, he's writing it on tablets of stone, right? The Ten Commandments. As he's giving it to Moses, Moses hadn't even made his way down yet. And the Israelites had already turned away from God and begged Aaron to make a golden calf so they could dance around it and worship. Notice also in verse 32 that the covenant that God made with Israel was akin to a marriage contract. God says, Though I was their husband, I was their husband. The sin of the Israelites was the sin that was likened to adultery, spiritual adultery. They had adulterated against their God who had pledged himself to them like a husband pledges himself to his wife. So unfaithful were Israel and Judah that Jeremiah chapter 3 says God actually filed for divorce against them. And here's the daunting fact. Here's the clear implication or fact from all the scripture is that you and I have the same problem of sin, which means you and I are all covenant breakers, which is why a new covenant is needed. A covenant that deals with the root issue, a covenant that goes deeper than the previous covenant could or did. Now, We all know probably that new does not always mean better, does it? In fact, if I were to talk to an older generation, or I suppose I am an older generation now now that I have a teenage daughter, I might say something similar to her. But if you were to talk to an older generation, my parents' age or my grandparents' age, oftentimes you might hear them say something like, things just are not built the way they once were. New is not necessarily better. Or back in the old days, things were better. But we are told that with this covenant, it is indeed better. It is far better. It is infinitely better than the old covenant. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 8, it tells us that it's better because it's built on better promises. It's built on better promises. And that's what I want. The remainder of our time this morning, I want to draw your attention to five new covenant promises here in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 37. The first promise I want to point out to you this morning is, the new covenant promises new life. The new covenant promises new life. If I were to point to a New Testament verse, it would be this, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. For whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away, And the new things have come. Verse 33 in our text this morning says this. I will put my law within them. And I will write it upon their hearts. This speaks of an inward renewal. Laws written on tablets of stone could never do this. It could never change our hearts. External coercion could never get to the root issue which is sin and an unwilling heart. So that's why God says, I'm going to do something deeper. I'm going to write my law on their heart. I'm going to write it on their minds. So God is not looking for outward conformity, but an inward renewal. And of course, this points to the the promise or the giving of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 3, very well-known verse. He's talking to a, a learned, smart, religious Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he says something very strange to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, how can that happen? I'm a grown man. How can I enter back into my mother's womb again? And Jesus said, no, you need to be born of the Spirit. You need to be born again. You need to be made new. You need to be renewed. You need to be a um, theological word, regenerated. You need to be given the gift of regeneration through the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says in Hebrews 10, quoting this passage in Jeremiah 31. The writer of Hebrews has this passage in Jeremiah in mind, and he attributes it to the Holy Spirit. He says this, or excuse me, Hebrews 10 verses 15 and 16. It says, and the Holy Spirit... Also bears witness to us. For he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will write my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Now, what happens when the Holy Spirit does this work of renewal in our lives? Not perfect obedience, but a new desire to obey the Lord. Not because things are written on tablets of stone commands on a piece of paper or tablets of stone saying, I know I should do those things, but I don't want to. But now this inward work of God's spirit writing his law in our hearts, there's this desire to follow Jesus. Jesus puts it this way. If you love me, you will obey my commands. The only people that can do that are those that are made new by the Holy Spirit, given new life, regenerated born again, given the new birth. Obedience from the heart, when we have this new life, is not burdensome. It's not burdensome. We don't do it perfectly, of course. We, I fail daily. I, I know that. I'm very aware of that. But it's not a burden to walk with the Lord in obedience. Listen to this verse in 1 John 5, these verses, 1 John 5 verses 3 and 4 says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone, listen to this, this phrase, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. John connects commandments or obedience, not being burdensome to those who've been born of God, those who've been given new life, those who have the Holy Spirit who came, who's come and made them new. It is God himself, the very Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit sent from the Father, taking his finger that was once used to inscribe commands on tablets of stone. And he came into your life and started inscribing his law on your heart. This covenant promises new life, but it doesn't just promise new life. It promises more. This covenant covenant also promises, this new covenant here in Jeremiah 31, also promises mutual possession. Mutual possession. Verse 33 says, God says, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. The people of God belong to him. That's not hard to agree with right we belong to him in fact you might say everything in the world belongs to him psalm 24 says the the world is the earth is the lords and the fullness thereof the world and everyone who dwells in it but the people of god those who have been saved by the blood of jesus christ they they in a special way belong to god as his covenant people listen to verse or isaiah 43 verse 1 it says But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, and then God is speaking, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God looks down upon his people gathered here today, believing in Jesus and says, you are mine. You belong to me, not just because I made you, but because I've redeemed you. Paul says something very similar in First Corinthians 6, he says, "Don't you know that you're not your own any longer? You've been bought with a price." Peter says something very similar in First Peter chapter two, verse nine, he says, we are, "We are a people for God's own possession. We belong to God. And that's amazing. But there's something even maybe more shocking. Check this out it's a mutual possession. God doesn't just say, they will be my people, He says, and I will be their God. We can say to God, because of this new covenant promise, not only am I your, I am yours but we can say you are mine. You belong to, I belong to you and you belong to me. He gives himself to us. We are his and he is ours. Song of, Sol- Song of Solomon 6.3 poetically says this. I, th- I think it's a picture of Christ in the church. It says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. This is, I think the supreme gift of the new covenant. If God gave us everything else yet withheld himself, it would not be good. It would not be a great thing. What if someone you deeply love, your spouse or a parent, gave you everything you wanted from them except themselves? God gives us himself. He gives us himself. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 3 that Jesus came and he died, the righteous for the unrighteous. He's righteous, I'm unrighteous. He died for me in order to do this, in order to bring me back to God. In order to bring me to God, our eternal inheritance is beyond amazing because It is supremely God himself that we get. The covenant promises mutual possession, but it promises more than that. It also promises intimacy with God. New covenant promises intimacy with God. Here's what it says in verse 34. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. They will all know me. The word know means so much more, so much more than just knowing facts about someone. It certainly is that, but it is so much more than that. It means, speaks of the most intimate kind of relationship. In Exodus 33, it speaks, talks about Moses and how he used to speak with God and God, God used to speak with him. And she says, God used to speak with him like a friend speaks with a friend face to face. Now, that was a privilege Moses had. And he would receive words from God and then he would go speak them to the Israelites. But in the new covenant, Jesus doesn't come to create a click, okay? Like the cool kids get to hang with Jesus and get to be close to him. And the rest of us have to stand on the outside trying to look in and see if we can get a sneak peek. No, Jesus through his blood and the blessing of the new covenant says all are welcome to come close. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. This will will be experienced perfectly in heaven when everyone in heaven will know the Lord. Won't that be amazing? Everyone there will know him. I mean, there won't be one person that's like, Jesus never heard of him. And there won't be one person that's like, Jesus, you know, he's okay, but really a steak dinner sounds good. (laughs) Everyone there will know him and everyone there will love him and everyone there will be intimately acquainted with Jesus. That'd be so amazing. But even now in this present age, when we gather together as the church, as God's people, gather in different locations around the city and around the world, We get a taste of this. We can all know him. Know him intimately. Know him personally. You are not a second-class Christian. You are not a second-class Christian. You are invited to come close. But more than a mere invitation, it is an invitation, but it's more than that. It's a promise. It's a promise to all of God's people they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest from the poorest to the richest from the least intelligent to the most intelligent they will all know me god says what an amazing promise the the new covenant promises intimacy with god but it promises more than that the new covenant promises complete satisfaction for our sins. Complete satisfaction for our sins. Verse 34 says this. I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. Sin is fully done away with. It is removed. Because sin is the problem of covenant breakers. Which you and I all are. Forgiveness of sin is an inconceivably great promise. For those of us who have grown up in the church for a long period of time, we might struggle yawning at the idea of forgiveness of sins. We shouldn't. God, forgive me. We've heard people say, perhaps, have you heard someone say this before? I have. I probably have said it before, or at least thought it. I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Right? Listen to this promise. God says, I'm going to forgive all their sins. And I'm not even going to remember them anymore. That's amazing. (laughs) He says, I'm forgiving and I'm forgetting. (laughs) You are free from your sin. Because God forgives and he forgets. Psalm 103 puts it this way. That he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. I love asking this question. How far is that? It's a long ways, right? He has removed them infinitely. In other words, they are nowhere to be found. John the Baptist, when Jesus comes on the scene, he's baptizing people. And he sees Jesus and he says these words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Doesn't say who sweeps the sin under the rug, right? He takes them away. How can this be? Because Jesus took them to the cross and they were nailed there with him. For all who trust in Jesus, your sins, past, present, future, they've been nailed to the cross with Christ. Now, here's here's an important question. Here's, Here's a legit question. Does God really intellectually forget about our sins? I mean, doesn't he see everything? Didn't he see the way that I spoke to my wife this last week? That was sometimes not always the best. That was sin. Of course, he sees everything. But because Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree and exhausted the curse of, of God that our sins deserved. God will not bring our sins up in judgment again. He remembers them no more. (laughs) I am so thankful for that. Anyone else here? That's good news. Thank you, Lord. My sin, we sing an old hymn. It is well. The second verse, my sin, oh, the bliss. Of this glorious thought. My sin. Not in part. Not part of them. But the whole. Is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. O my soul. There is complete satisfaction. For the problem of sin. Our sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus. And all of the punishment. That I deserve from my sin. Jesus took thereto. And God remembers my sin no more. But there's more. The new covenant promises, excuse me, the new covenant is eternal in its duration. It is eternal. Verses 35 to 37. I wasn't even going to go here. But sometime late on Friday, I was just like, Man, those verses right after are amazing. We can't skip that. Verses 35 to 37 says this. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night. Who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If the fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me. Thus says the Lord, verse 37, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. These verses, here's what it's saying. It is as likely that God will break covenant with his people as it is that the the entire universe will come to a screeching halt. Now, there are some doom and gloom folks, okay? I want to encourage you today, if you might fit into that category, who think that the sky might fall someday. Not according to this passage. It is more likely for the universe to come to a stop as it is for God to allow this covenant to be broken. It is as likely for astronauts to be able to exhaust the heavens in their space shuttles from one end to the other than it is for this covenant to be broken. It is as likely for scientists to be able to dig deep enough to get to the very core of the earth as it is for this covenant to be broken. It is durable, it is irrevocable, it is eternal. Or as Jeremiah 32, just the very next chapter says, speaking about the very same covenant, he says, I will make, God says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. This covenant is eternal. But how can this be? As we said before, throughout the Bible, covenants read almost like a contract. God holds up his end of the bargain and we hold up ours. The problem is this. We don't hold up ours. None of us do. So how can this be an eternal covenant? We break our end of the bargain. Covenant's over. It's null and void. Right? If I don't pay my mortgage for six months, I'm on the street. This is the beauty and glory of grace. And the new covenant is a covenant that is run through with grace from beginning to end. God keeps his end of the bargain. What about our end? Who keeps our end? Because we don't. Jesus does. Christ's covenant keeping is on our behalf. Jesus obeyed God perfectly, and he still does. The father, that is. And his obedience, through faith in Christ, his obedience counts as ours. Amazing truth. One historical Christian confession called the Westminster Confession asked this question. <clears throat> with whom does God make the covenant of grace? The answer is this. Jesus Christ and all who are in him. The covenant is made with Christ and everyone who is in him. Christ's covenant keeping counts as ours. The covenant of grace is made with Christ and all who belong to him or all who are in Christ. All who are located in Christ, no longer located in Adam, but located in Jesus. So these covenant promises that we've outlined today, they are forever. Forever. They are forever. Holy Spirit abiding and dwelling within us, renewing us. God's law written on our heart, this new life that we have, it is nothing other than eternal life. This forgiveness of sin, God will not renege on that. He won't someday say, you know what, bad idea. That guy's really bad. I think I'm going to call it off with him. No. It is eternal. Let me ask you a question. With such promises from God through Jesus Christ in the new covenant, why would you or I want to live under any other arrangement with God? Paul puts it this way, okay? He says to the people of Galatia, he says, you you started in the spirit. Why do you want to try to make your way forward in the flesh? If God has made such promises with us through Christ, if these really are the riches we have in Jesus, let's refuse to live spiritually poor any longer. God has done it all. God says, I will write my laws within them. We don't do that. He does that. God says, I will be their God. We can't make him be our God. He declares that. He says, they will be my people. We can't make ourselves that. He says it. God says, they will all know me. This is a promise. God says, I will forgive their sins and I will remember them no more. God does all of this. What is left for you and I to do? (laughs) Nothing. The only thing left to do is believe. The only thing left to do is to trust. Luke said it earlier, right? Is to cast ourselves on Jesus and say, you know what? I don't want to trust in myself. I'll blow it. I want to trust in Christ. The only thing left to do is to believe. We don't add faith as though faith is like this missing ingredient that seals the deal. Faith is more like this, okay? Jesus has everything. I have nothing. I come empty-handed to receive all that he has. That's faith. That's the way I see it anyways. He's eternally wealthy. I in myself am eternally poor, impoverished. Just give me all you have, Jesus. I receive it. Faith simply, here's the way I'd put it. Faith simply, simply receives what god gives freely we can't earn it we just receive it here's an example these are not perfect examples okay some you might be able to punch a hole in this but that's all right it's it's an okay it's an okay example here's an example faith is the cry of a dying person for help Faith is the opening of the mouth by a baby as mom and dad are getting ready to feed. There's nothing impressive about a person lying on the side of the road about ready to die, crying out for help. Nothing to boast in. There's nothing impressive about a baby just opening its mouth to receive food from mom and dad. So let me ask you a, a very pointed question. Have you, let me, ask, let me ask two questions, okay? Have you trusted Christ? I'm going to ask it another way. All of these promises, new covenant promises, I don't know if you see this or not, but they're all things that we, ex- they're to be experienced, you know? Um, I mean, to have God living inside of us seems like, That might be something you know happened. Right? His law written on our hearts. Something is different in me. I am not the same person I used to be. I'm not perfect. Far from it. But I am not the same person I used to be. Our sins wiped away. God saying. You are mine. And I am yours. Do you. Know this. Is this something you live in? Wow, God has done everything through Christ. I am so wealthy in Jesus. Then today, come to Christ and receive his eternal riches freely. Can't earn it, but you can receive it. Now, some here might be saying, there might be more of us saying this. I've done that. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the eternal son of God who came down to earth, died on a cross, rose again, ascended on high, and he's coming again. How do you like that? Pretty concise gospel presentation, huh? I believe that. But I don't experience all the joy of this new covenant fellowship with God. God seems mostly distant to me. I don't have this, this sense of joy that God says, you are mine and I am yours. Well, I'd, I want, I'd want to address this in two ways. Give me just a few moments to do this. First, the first way I'd address this is this, this way. I would encourage you to examine yourself. I'm I'm running a risk here. There's something really unhealthy about individuals, you and I, always examining ourselves and never able to rest in Jesus. And there's something unhealthy about a preacher who always encourages people, you probably don't know Jesus, you better examine yourself, okay? I don't want to do that. But there's something equally unhealthy about never being able to say this. Examine yourself. Is Christ in you? Are there the fruits of new life in you by the power of God's spirit who comes and makes us new? 2 Corinthians 13.5, that's what Paul exhorts the people of Corinth to do. He says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself to see if Christ is in you. So I would say that. But here's another way I would address this. Once you and I are brought into this covenant through faith in Jesus Christ, once God brings us in by his gift, it is more like a marriage than an employer-employee relationship. In fact, it's not like, it's not like an employer-employee relationship at all, okay? It is like a marriage Now, suppose you ignore your spouse. You disregard your spouse's feelings and desires. Suppose you really don't want to spend any time with your spouse at all. Or maybe you just feel like you can't because you're too busy. In other words, you don't carve out time to. How is your marriage going to be? Distant? You bet. Disjointed? Oh, yeah. You may be absolutely committed to the legal vows you made on your marriage day. But relationally, you're disjointed. You're disconnected. Well, God is not a thing. God is a person. God is a person that we, that we graciously enter into relationship with through the new covenant. And this relationship with God can be cultivated like any other kind of relationship. And it needs to be. As God works this into us, here's what Paul puts it in Philippians 2, a little different context, but same idea work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God has worked in you. Or it is God who works in you both to will and to do all of his good pleasure. In other words, if God has put his spirit in you, if God has made you new, if God has caused you to be born of him, and he's wiped away all of your sins, so the sin barrier's gone, because Jesus took care of that, then... Pursue him. Cultivate relationship with God through his word and through his spirit. God has done everything to satisfy the vows of this covenant. All you and I can do really is receive the promises and live in light of them. I remember hearing uh, or reading... Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he gave this analogy. Really, the new covenant is given to us through the hearing and receiving the gospel. And he said, the gospel means good news. It does not mean good advice. I think I've shared this before, so bear with me. He said, good news is very different from good advice. If a general takes his men out to war and the enemy is routing them. He's going to send some of his men back to the village or the city or the country and say, get ready to fight. They're coming. We're getting our butts kicked. You better fight, okay? Take up arms. That's advice, right? That's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a military advisor. If, however, the general goes out to war with his men and they rout the enemy, And they send one of their envoys back to the village or city or whatever. And they say, the general has defeated them. Live in the joy and peace of his victory. It's very different. That's news, not advice. You and I had this privilege in the hearing today of the gospel of this new covenant. The new covenant promises to respond that way to hear these amazing blessings we could never earn in a million years. That's why we needed a new covenant because we needed God to graciously do it all for us. And he has through Christ. And you and I have the privilege of hearing it and saying amen. If that really is true, I want that. And receiving with the empty hands of faith Look to Christ. Look to Christ today. Look to him afresh. All of us here, you and I both, let's look to Jesus afresh. Let's receive or let's know, as Richard Sibb said, that quote I I shared at the very beginning, let's know the riches we have in Jesus. And let's live there and never turn back. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it, God, it pierces and it goes deep and it divides, divides to, the, to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It just goes deep, Lord. Not my words, but your word. So God, I pray you take my words that are that you've given me in alignment with your word and that you would pierce our hearts. Not pierce mainly just to wound, but pierce maybe to wound, but more so, God, to give us life. To give us life because your word is living and active. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come. Make these truths real and evident. Cause men and women here today to lay hold of Christ through faith. Give new life to some here today who don't yet have it, that we would be forever changed, incrementally and progressively, but changed. Thank you for this covenant that you give us. It truly is not only new, but it's better. It's improved. It has better promises, lasting, run through with grace, ratified by Jesus Christ and his blood that was poured out. And we just say thank you. And we receive today. In Jesus' powerful name, I pray. Amen.